Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. Genesis, turn over to Psalm 8. And if you have enough ribbons uh, in your markers, turn over to Ephesians, perhaps a third chapter. Before we really get into the message this morning, I want to take just a moment and uh, I want to remind you once again about this uh, donation that we have for the Morning Star Pregnancy Center. Um, I want to say just a few words about them and then, then I'll get into to the message this morning. Um, they've been in existence in some form or fashion since 1972 and serve primarily here in the uh, uh, Susquehanna Valley. Last year, so we're speaking of 2022, last year they provided free of charge 1,329 ultrasounds. 1,329 ultrasounds. Um, they had over 3,000 client visits. Folks in crisis, pregnancy, 3,000 of them. Uh, and they um, attribute 608 lives saved, which means there were 608 pregnancies that did not end in the termination of the baby. Now, I bring those up uh, to catch you up with something else that I think that you should well worth be aware of. Uh, I received a letter back in April uh, this past year in 2002 from um, Morningstar, and they had a major prayer request, and that is, as you know, in today's age, so much is done through the Internet. In fact, um, it is so far-reaching, so part of culture and action, in many ways, Internet service is like having electric uh, you use it that way. Um, I am very familiar with the roads here in central PA, especially in the Harrisburg area. But often, very often when I get in my car to drive any, any distance at all, I often engage the GPS. The reason isn't that I've suddenly forgotten. Rather, the reason is it does a pretty good job today letting you know traffic flow, whether something is backed up or not. Uh, some of you with your digital devices uh, will maybe even this afternoon decide that you want to go to a restaurant. And so you'll put your information that you want to go to this restaurant and it'll pop up uh, in various websites or apps and tell you how busy it is or what the wait time is. Uh, maybe you want to try a different restaurant and you're not familiar with all of them. You don't eat out every day, every week. And so you put it in, you get reviews. And so it's an integral part of how we do and operate uh, some of you, before you go to a doctor's office, will Google the doctor, or you'll Google the mechanic, or you'll Google the contractor. It's an integral part. Back in April of this year, um, big tech, namely Google, Yelp, some of these type companies, removed uh, queries for many, including Morningstar's pregnancy crisis centers. So if you punched it in, you might still find it, but it was no longer at the top of the page where it should be. It's, it's hid. So you've got all these other options, but you couldn't find the Pregnancy Crisis Center. It wasn't just them, but in our specific area, they were included in it. In fact, you would go down in it, and if you wanted to ask questions about it, it referred to you to sites about crisis pregnancy, or, uh, crisis pregnancy services uh, that would dissuade someone that was invested from ever going there you know, directing you to pages where it was unregistered, unhelpful, 
not a medical agency. All of these things to kind of get you to think the idea that they did nothing at all of any intrinsic value. It was only through the employment of the legal arm of many lawyers and services and many other groups that they were able to get that matter corrected after some times. I'm just sharing you that with you because in a very active way, in a very active way, any view outside of the view of pro-choice is often not only just rejected, but it is dismissed and it is uh, impugned and maligned and therefore every attempt to marginalize as well. Uh, it's interesting uh, in an article that I have that I, I'll just want to share a snippet with you this morning, but it is from actually uh, Pennsylvania uh, Health, so it's health.pa.gov, and under their topic on abortions, they have all this information about the various abortions that are legal and how it's legal up to 23 weeks. And in some regards in Pennsylvania, it can go up to 26 weeks and this and that. And they've got all this material. And in fact, uh, in the closing segments of this article online, they will give you the contact message they will, or contact information. I'm looking at it. They'll give you the hyperlinks that you can go to the website. They'll give you the phone numbers and hotlines of various organizations that will pay for your transportation to your housing and ultimately your abortion. And then when you scroll to the last paragraph, they have a little snippet on crisis pregnancy centers. And then in summary, it says they are not licensed or regulated by the health department and do not provide abortion uh, services. Um, you should seek de uh, Department of Health licensed facilities that provide abortions. Marginalized. I find that to be incredible. I think it is in part a driving force in the kind of view that will lead to many, many, many more abortions. Now today, we commemorate Sanctity of Life Sunday. It is this year been 50 years since the Supreme Court ruled on Roe versus Wade. And my point this morning is not to be political in nature, but this topic is it's a political lightning rod. The point this morning is not to induce fear, nor is it to induce anger. Yet, when you consider some of these topics, those very keen emotions often rise to the surface. My purpose this morning is really twofold. To be informative of an evil of society, according to the truths of the Word of God. And secondarily, or if you will, really primarily, to focus on the only escape that any society has through Christ Jesus. That is really our focus, our two-part focus this morning. Let me begin, as I often have traditionally, on our Sanctity of Life Sundays. And I want to give you some statistics. Statistics according to the Pennsylvania Department of Health. Uh, and I have cited various articles here as well, but I, I just want to give you a number of numbers. And if you're taking notes, you can pin some of these through. In 2021, the most current up-to-date numbers that I could just about find here in Pennsylvania, 33,206 abortions. In 2020, there were 32,270 abortions. In 2019, 31,018. It is of note that in the middle of the pandemic in 2020, they had the highest number of abortions that have been seen in Pennsylvania since 2014. All of the lockdowns, 
all of the protective, quote-unquote, medical engagements did not prevent abortions. It rather seemingly accelerated them. It's interesting that sometimes when considering the matter of abortions, the individual is private. And so one would wonder, who are they? How old are they? What are they considering? What are they thinking? Those thoughts often would go through my mind, just just as an honest nature. It's interesting, in 2020, this is according to an article from the Penn Live in 2022, it's almost split demographically almost in half. 49% of abortions in Pennsylvania were to black or African-American individuals. Um, Approximately 10% were to those of Hispanic origin. The balance of those that were white or Caucasian. Who are they? Well, I can tell you this, that according to those that filled out the forms and such, of the some 32,000 abortions, 3,755 belonged in the marital status. 28,281 of them were unmarried. The largest group of individuals receiving abortions, in my mind, For some reason, this always seems to be like a 15-year-old. That's the narrative that somehow just my mind is concocted, but it's not factual. In fact, the largest age group that has abortions performed upon them was the age group 25 to 29. If you're thinking of this in this wise, that's post-college. Post-college, 25 to 29. That accounted for 30% of all abortions to individuals in 2020. Individuals under the age of 20, maybe post-high school, accounted for 8% of all abortions. Individuals under the age of 18 only accounted for 2.4% of all individuals. And so that leaves your two highest age groups being those from 20 to 24 and those 25 to 29. Of all abortions performed in 2020 in Pennsylvania, they were most of them, 90% of them, were performed in eight counties. Allegheny County with 3,083, Chester County with 882, Dolphin County, 931, Delaware County, 1,857, Lehigh, 960, Northampton County, 557, Philadelphia, 11,301, York County, 759, Montgomery County, 1,712, Lancaster County, 617, Lebanon County, 160, Perry County, 42, and neighboring county, Cumberland County, 275. 1,037 abortions in 2020 occurred after 18 weeks. 1,099 occurred between 15 and 17 weeks. Another interesting note, according to the Department of Health in 2019, 47% of women who got an abortion in Pennsylvania had at least one prior abortion. Consider that for a moment. 10% of that 47 had three or more abortions. This was related on the House 
the Senate House, or, or I'm, I'm sorry, on the uh, House of the Representatives, someone related this. They said the U.S. is only one of seven countries in the world to permit elective abortions past 20 weeks. The Western world prides herself in human rights and dignity. And this was mentioned by one of the representatives on the House floor, U.S. House floor. U.S. is one of seven. The other countries that allow abortions past 20 weeks, China, Vietnam, Singapore, North Korea, and the Netherlands. Canada, and the United States of America. So on human rights, I suppose we see eye to eye with China. Under Pennsylvania law, an abortion is the termination of a clinically diagnosed pregnancy and is available reproduction health option through the 23rd week of pregnancy. And according to their website, and in certain cases with dual medical approval, through the 23rd week or beyond the 23rd week. Um, just a number of statistics here. Some of them similar. I thought this was of interesting note also from the same website, PA, healthpa.gov. Note this, and, and I read this verbatim. There are many circumstances where abortion is necessary for pregnant individuals. Physical, mental, and spiritual health. I would just have you note that again. Physical, spiritual, and mental health, abortion could be necessary. Abortion, they go on, is an essential component of health care for women and birthing people. According to the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, the World Health Organization and countless other public health and medical professional membership organizations. The Pennsylvania Department of Health believes the decision to have an abortion is best made between a, consult, a consultation between a pregnant person and their physician with the needs of pregnant persons foremost in mind. Seems to be an illusion of a choice here, isn't it? According to the Journal of American Physicians, one goes in to get an abortion, they have something of a questionnaire that can be filled out. Sometimes it's mostly blank. What they did, the American Journal here, is they compiled it. And they give you, in these next three statistics, that I'm going to give you the most common reasons why someone said they had an abortion. Now, I want to remind you what the Pennsylvania government said. That it's for pregnant people and birthing people, care of women and birthing people, it's a physical need, a mental need, or a spiritual need. You come down to the Journal of American Physicians, and you get down to the reasons why one had an abortion, 73% said they experienced pressure to abort their child. 66% of them, after the fact, said in their survey that they knew even while the process was underway that they were making a mistake. And 38% of those said that they ultimately went through with it all to make someone else happy.
What I'm telling you is, it would seem that there are conflicting statistics. The American Journal of Physicians says the overwhelming number, they use the word women, not birthing people, but the overwhelming number of women that had abortions, it had nothing to do with their physical or spiritual, and likely in one regard, not even their own mental health. It is an elective choice that they, for varying reasons, made. It's interesting to note that every year when they talk about this, it's particularly true in the political arena. Um, Multiple doctors have come out in addressing this idea of abortion in cases of the mother's health. Multiple doctors have gone before Congress and in public said that in decades of practice, they've never seen that to be a necessary cause. The idea that abortion needs to be allowed for medical purposes is essentially the equivalent of a needle and haystack argument. The ultimate reason for abortions is the choice of the mind of an individual. This brings us, if you will, to a very weighty matter. When we consider the premature, permanent conclusion of life, that's really what an abortion is. It's premature, it's permanent, and it's life. It's weighty. Yet, at the root, there are some that would convey it as a virtue and even draw their hypothesis by an examination of the animal kingdom. After all, a doe might reject its kit if it thought it was not a viable birth. Would just kind of push it to the side. And essentially, just as that animal was to do that, so that is all that a mother or birthing person is doing, is they are simply pushing that They're making a choice and they are pushing that aside and they equate that there is little distinction in their worldview between the animal kingdom and humanity. This leads us to a profound question and it's the subject of what I want to speak on for the next few moments. What is man? Is man just simply a higher developed form of the animal kingdom. I mean, you think about the consequences of this. If man descended from the animal kingdom, if you could prove that, if there was a statement that was developed that way, if science could articulate that expressive way in a proven factual manner, then you would say that really in regards to life, that all life was just the luck of the draw and of accidents. And that they're really in that premature, uh, permanent uh, ending of a life, that there's no real difference in that than what a doe might do to its young. Mark Twain, in trying to segregate this distance between the animal kingdom and the human kingdom, he penned it once tongue-in-cheek fashion. He said this, man is the only animal that blushes. 
and the only one that needs to. Kind of tongue in cheek there. What is man? One scientist named Jode, he put it this way. He said, man on his average. Now listen carefully. Man on his average, talking about all the mineral chemical makeup of man. Man on his average is fat enough for seven bars of soap. He's iron enough for one medium-sized nail. He's sugar enough for seven cups of tea. Lime enough to whitewash one chicken coop. Phosphorus enough to tip 2,200 matches. Magnesium enough for one dose of salt. And sulfur enough to rid one dog of his fleas. That's the component chemical makeup of man. But what saith the scriptures? First Corinthians chapter 15, which deals a lot with death and life. In fact, if memory recollects, 22 times in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, you've got a reference to life. 22 times, you've got a reference to death or dying. This is that passage that talks about the resurrection of those that died in Christ. We reference this in the Sunday school hour, the dead shall, we that are corruptible shall put on incorruption and we which mortal put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass this saying, death is swallowed up in victory. It's all in the 15th chapter. In the opening of the song service this morning, we sang, he lives. And I cited a passage with your help out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If Christ be not risen from the dead, we are men most. All of this contained in the 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. Yet in the 39th verse, we read this. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and other of fishes and another of birds. This is an express idea that there is a distinction between animal flesh and its ending and human flesh in its ending. Paul's reminding us that, listen, in that day where there is the resurrection, it is the resurrection of those that are saved of humanity. It's not the resurrection of your favorite animal. Bambi's not coming back. That's the observation. That's the focus of this particular verse. Now, we can even look in modern science today and seek to derive what type of distinctions and differences could be seen between the animal kingdom and humanity. Usually those focuses really derive into three areas. The idea of a grasping thumb. The idea of an erect posture. He stands upright. And the idea of a cerebral hemisphere, having the hemispheres of the brain. Those are unique to humanity, and not all of the animal kingdoms have all three of those. In fact, I don't know of the animal kingdom that has all three of them in the same fashion. Similarity is not the same thing as identicality. And of course, we could go on and we could say what other differences and distinctions. And I would be remiss, and I say this somewhat tongue-in-cheek myself, that in the animal kingdom that we are supposed to scientifically be related to, 
The animal kingdom seemingly only knows two genders. But in humanity, we know of at least 72 with the possibility of an infinite number of genders. So on the basis of gender and therefore reproductive science, we obviously could not be the same. But I digress for a moment. Let me give you about eight ways, observationally. So I'm going to mention some passages. These are observationals. That there's a distinction between the animal kingdom and humanity. I think these are observational. You can see and witness these. I think we could note a distinction that only humanity possesses a true language. Only humanity possesses a true language. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 19, we didn't read that far in the text, but Adam spoke. He had a tongue. He had lips. He had a larynx. He had lungs. He had all the necessary, compo- uh, all the necessary components, and he had a mind in which he could speak. A linguist often argue about what speech the early man spoke. It always is humorous to me how they often typify man as being this half-naked, mostly stupid individual with a big giant stick and language that seemingly came from his lips like an uneducated barbarian, you know, with a guttural, uh, 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 like that, caveman speech. Well, that's not compatible with what you find in Genesis chapter 2. He names all of the animals. I'm doing a study a little bit on the Hebrew language, and it has amazed me. So much of the 22 different consonances that make up the Hebrew languages can be described by animals. The ox face, the camel in bowing knee, all of this. Now, I don't know, although I suspect that Hebrew might have been one of the, if not the original language. But that, aside from the point, what I can say is Adam spoke. And observationally, as I look at the animal kingdom, I know not of any other animal kingdom that has an intelligible, fully articulate language in existence. I know birds twerp to each other. I've seen dogs bark at each other. I've seen uh, cows meow at each other. You seen that? Me neither. But what I'm expressing is none of them have it in a continual, articulate manner. I'd move beyond just the language and talk about the factor that can be had with that. Not only can man speak, but man, because of his language, he can write. And as of such, he can record and determine history. Who does this for the animal kingdom? Now, I know Disney came out with that movie. Was that Lion King or something like that? And they've got all the drawings. How much? Sure, you. No animal knows who his great grandma was, especially if, by personal experience, especially if they happen to be a rabbit. Just too much time has passed, you know. Who keeps the animal kingdom's history? As someone talking to me some time ago about pedigrees, animal pedigrees, and various animals and breeding and purebreds and stuff like that. Does that dog know they're purebred? Mm-mm. They don't. No clue. Can that dog prove it's purebred? 
No, but his owner can. He's got a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper, it'll distinguish who his parentage is, if you will. The dog write it? No. Humanity did. It's a distinction. Man has an economic side. All the way back in the book of Genesis, you find out about one named Abraham who had a shekel of silver. That was a weight, a determination of weight. Man long ago invented a means in which to take a common medium of silver or gold. Today we use currency in which to extract goods, wealth. No animal in any of the animal kingdom has a currency system. I think of this. Another distinction, a fourth one, if you will, when you look at observationally, mankind has a creative side. Now, not all of us are equal in this. Amen. Animals do build things. Foxes will dig out a hole in the ground. Rabbits will nest. A bird will nest. If you went to spiders, they will build a web. And there's a level of intrinsic value in what they build. But you know why they build? Out of grand necessity. The spider that spins her web, yea, even in king's palaces, Solomon writes, they do so that they might catch their food. The rabbit that puts its nest together, or the bird, why do they do that? So they might have a place in which to lay their brood or their kits. It's very utilitarian. There's a level of necessity in it. Let me ask you this question. Why does humanity build? There's a level of aesthetic quality in all humanity. Many of you prove this in a great extent. I, we could go visit some of you at home and some of you have knick-knack shelves. I don't know what you really call them, but do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you might have knick-knack cupboards. Some of you might have knick-knack... I was out on visitation once and a fellow said, I want you to show you this. Walked me in and he said, this is my Disney room. And we went in and I mean, he had a whole giant bedroom just full of all of his favorite Disney paraphernalia. Stuffed animals and cars and replicas and trains and all of this. Let me ask you what the purpose was. What was the purpose? So he could eat it? No. So it could shelter him from storm? Why'd he have it? Simply because he liked it. Now don't judge that guy too harshly. Because I've also been in the rooms of individuals that had all this Green Bay Packer stuff. Or the Dallas Cowboy stuff. <laughs> I've also been in homes where they got tools they're never going to use. We won't say anything about the ladies. We'll leave that go this morning. What I'm trying to say is their distinction of creation, of art, if you will. I think about this. Man can think analytically. He can see a problem and seek to de derive of a solution. Man has a sense of morality, ethical behavior. Now, not all of that behavior is derived from Scripture. Some of it might be what they call uh, natural law, which, which I would argue in some point is the law of conscience, which comes because nature's God is pinned on the hearts of men. Sometimes it might be a level of that which is influenced by the culture in which they live. But what I'm saying, at some point, there is a moral code among humanity of that which is inherently right and that which is inherently wrong. 
<laughs> Recently, our family adopted two rabbits. And uh, in my universal knowledge of rabbitry, I gendered them. And I divined that they were two females. And I put them in the same hutch together, and they played so wonderfully together. Until, lo and behold, there were then a nest of six kits. And I realized how divine I was not. <laughs> Those two rabbits originally were out of the same litter. To put it in our vernacular, they were brother and sister. Yet they begat. I read an article that put it this way. said, rabbits have no idea of moral constructs of families. And I said, duh. The animal kingdom does not. Humanity does. Well, I'm taking a lot of time. I'll end with two more. Humanity is created with a desire for its creator. Therefore, it has the capacity to worship. Your animals do not. I had a dog once and we'd eat on Sundays and I don't know, one of my sisters, some said, Let's, we should make the dog pray before he eats. That was the idea. Now we trained that dog to pause and not attack its food until we said something. But was it really worshiping? No, it was waiting. There's a difference. Some of you might sometimes do that as well. And finally, just an observational difference. Humanity buries its dead. I've never seen a viewing service for deer. Think about that for a minute. One of the ladies left the church, told me about this. They left the church the other night, rode down the road here, and there was a deer that got hit. It's in the middle of the road. And it had been hit by a car and crippled. It was in the middle of the road, but it was still alive. You know, if that happened to one of you, my, your neighbors would come out. You'd hope, you'd at least hope. But people would do what they could to help you and aid you. They would sorrow for you in the same regard if it was your demise. There was no viewing for this dove or this buck, rather. In fact, about 35 minutes later, I went the same way. You couldn't tell there was anything anywhere. Poor old farmer or hunter found that thing, and that was the end of it. It's now gone to freezer farm and will remain there until subsequent time it's needed. These are observational differences. You know, uh, scientists classify humanity as homo sapien. That, that means wise man. It's interesting that they don't even agree with that. Karl Marx redefined it from homo sapien uh, to homo faber comes from the German word work. And that really was the basis of communism. Why communism stands so far distinct from a free-thinking society. Because the root is not the gain of sapien or wisdom. The root is that of favor or work. By the way, that was the same background of the Nazi party of Germany in the 1930s, the collective idea of a society. You would go to the gates of Auschwitz and you had our bike mock free. Work makes free. Don't think, do. That's where morals go to die. Yet God 
perhaps in one of the greatest distinctions when he created man. He gave man something that is the distinction which sets him apart from all of God's wonderful creation. He gave him the ability to reason, have intellect, and have purpose. And nothing else God created has that trinity of intellect within it. But man does. So ergo then, what is the problem? If man has intellect and man can perceive purpose and man can put a plan together and act upon it and have choice, why would man choose what God has condemned? Let me give you just a few thoughts about that. That's what brings us. Go, if you will, Ephesians chapter 3. Herein lies really a devastating problem. There's conflict between God's wishes, thoughts, and His creation man. Why? A few verses. Isaiah 55 states on this wise. My ways are not your ways, saith the Lord. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And then there's a comparison. A Hebrew poetic expression. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. So though God created man and created him on an image, man has done something in which that he has veered from the path of all knowledge and truth. As of such, in comparison to fallen man, God stands so far in the distance from his consideration, from his purpose, from his hope, from his choice. And man has ascended in all of his vanity and pride to the point of thinking that he himself is God. And therefore the basis of all of his choices in life are not coming down to the denominator of God and what God wishes, but rather what man wants. I think it's so apropos that abortion is so often called choice. For it is a choice. There is no consideration given at all to what God's manifest divine will is. There's the first problem. Man's thoughts and God's are not simpatico. You're in Ephesians chapter 3. I'll get there in just a moment. I think a second problem that you find in regards to man's thoughts is that because of man's choices as it relates to God, his mind is darkened. It's a powerful expression that you find in Romans chapter 1 and 21. He says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain. And their imagination and their foolish heart was darkened. Their understanding dimmed. You know, the scriptures have an awful lot to say about man's understanding and thought. In fact, I got a list here that I keep in my Bible just to remind me of how awful our considerations so often are. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Lord refers to man's heart as being blinded in a sense of hardness. In chapter 4, verse 4, that we'll get to later perhaps, he says that man's heart and understanding are blinded by the God of this world. In Ephesians chapter 4, in referencing man's heart, he says it's full of vanity, empty. The Hebrewism, chasing the wind. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21, it says his thoughts are at enmity with God. 
In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 4, he speaks of the mind of man being beguiled and deluded. Colossians chapter 2, he refers to the mind of man as being deceived. In verse 18 of the same chapter, as being puffed up. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 5, in reference to that man has rejected the wholesome word of truth, the Lord said that he is destitute in his mind. What's the problem? The thoughts are so far apart, they're divergent. Yet man in his own thoughts, though he aspires to all the illumination and light that he so desires, the God of the universe says his mind is darkened. The light is switched off. That brings us to a third problem that man has. And that is because of his rejection of God and the darkening of his mind as it relates to God, his thoughts only point him towards a downward spiral. This is why I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 gives a pretty, or I said Ephesians chapter 3, I want to go to chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 gives a fairly pointed overview of man's thoughts spiraling downward. You see a few things here. Note, if you will, verse number 17. He talks about the vanity of their mind. Again, the word vanity, it's emptiness. It's chasing the wind. It's futile. Because man has deposed God in his mind, because man now is divergent from the knowledge of God, his mind darkened, and now all of his thoughts are going to spiral away from God. Therefore, the Scripture says in verse 17, and referencing of the other Gentiles, believers, unbelievers rather, he speaks of. He says they have vanity of their mind. Empty intellect. A lot of knowledge that will go nowhere. This is part of the record and I'm not one that's against education. I think education with biblical character, and biblical understanding of truth can be a very positive thing. Yet so often in society, education is made the God of all ends. Insomuch that the truth of 2 Timothy chapter 3 is true. It's verifiable so often in our society that by removing the God of all light, society really has just gotten to themselves more clever devils. 2 Corinthians reminds us, ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why? They're spiraling away from God. Their intellect empty, futility of thought. He mentions a second thing in verse number 18. He said their understanding being darkened, and note this, being alienated from the life of God. That's a powerful expression, is it not? Their thoughts continue to separate them from God. Why? Because in their mind they've made their own God. And at the conclusion of the throne of that God is really themselves. And the God of all heaven that has created them, Psalm 139, formed them in their mother's womb. The more they think, the more distance they become from that. And they in their own heart choices choose everything counter the choices of God. Then he mentions a third thing in verse 18. This is devastating. Or really, finishing verse 18, moving into 19, he says, because of the blindness of their heart, verse number 19, who being, what's the word? You know what that means? They're morally insensitive. They feel nothing. Timothy warned about one of the doctrines of devils that will come where they would sear their conscience with a hot iron. Cannot feel 
years ago, I was in a car accident. And most of my left leg was reconstructed. And around my knee, I have large areas that have no feeling. Sometimes I've been very thankful for it. Once I was standing in an attic tearing lath out and my hammer missed the lath and I struck my knee and I felt nothing. But it bruised that knee. But it was past feeling. Past feeling does not mean the same thing as no harm. Past feeling has the idea that they have steered the moral conscience that God installed upon them. They have retrained it to a dismal low and anything that is good is hated and everything that is evil is praised. You want to know one of the reasons our society is in a downward spiral? Morality is disdained. He mentions a fourth thing in verse number 19. The result of man's thought spiraling downward, his behavior will be depraved. Note verse number 19. He talks about to work all uncleanliness with greediness. Greediness is like covetousness. It's something you want. Uncleanliness speaks of moral, overarching evil, usually with a focus on sensuality. If you want to put that in another way, they're going to derive and desire in their life every evil, sensual sin. That's where man's thoughts take him. I'll give you a fourth thing about man's thoughts. Man's thoughts cause him to refuse the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've mentioned to you 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4, or chapter 4 and verse 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. Wasn't that how man was created? In the image of God? She shine upon them. And Satan in his wickedness seeks to spread abroad all manner of things that will cause man's hearts to be further blinded so that they see not the light of the gospel. There's a host of them. False religions, false gospels of Jesus Christ, feigned science, false stories and fables, flattering academia, the allure of this world, pride, the love of evil, any host of them are the evil one's ploy to keep the veil of darkness blinding the hearts of men. You're there in Psalm 8. And they're really, we could go on in this evening's service about this various topic. But I want to read Psalm 8. Note, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and suckling hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy that avenges and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens and the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, he's going to ask a question here. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visiteth him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hath crowned him with glory and honor and dominion. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. 
Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Though man, through Adam, and by his own choice is divergent to the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, though he spirals downwardly in his constant consideration because of the darkness of his mind, yet God considers him. You want to know a great difference between the animal kingdom and humanity? God did not die for the beast of the field. God did not die for the fowl of the air. God died for humanity's sake. Whether they be Jew or Gentile, whether they be bond or free, whether they be barbarian or Scythian, in Christ Jesus, they are all in one. He died for all humanity. What is man? He's different in his creation, for he has that intelligence to have a relationship with God. He is the one to whom God died for. He is the only creation that will stand in the last days in judgment before God. At the white throne judgment, you will not see the sheep of the field, the cows of the pasture. You'll not see the bears of the woods accompanied by a choir of deer. But you'll see the living humanity. Those that died long before, those that are living. The tall and the short. The weak and the strong, the well-known and the unknown will stand in that day. And regardless of their academic abilities, regardless of their nationality, regardless of the choices they have made to be completely antithetical to God or rather to just be on the fringe associated with God, they will stand in that marvelous day when all of the heaven and earth has fled away. And they'll behold the magnificent, transcending glory of the Most High God. And the question will not be asked what they think. And that day the question will not be submitted to them on their opinions of the day. It will be rather not their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. For only Jesus Christ Ephesians talks about him lighting or enlightening every path. John says he lighteth all those that come to him. Only he is the hope for the darkened mind of man. Oh, that man would turn his foolish, darkened eyes to the glorious light of Calvary. What is man that thou art mine? Let's stand to our feet. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbc.org. Until next time.